Thanks for listening to Marketing B2B Tech, the podcast from Napier where you can find out what really works in B2B marketing today. Welcome to Marketing B2B Technology, the podcast from Napier. Today I'm joined by Jeff Coyle. Jeff is the uh, co-founder and chief strategy officer of a company called Market Muse. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Oh, thanks for having me. I look forward to the discussion today. It's great to have you on. Now, I, I mean, just to start off, you're, you're now working at Market Muse, a, a marketing technology uh, company, but you've got a really interesting career history. So tell us how you ended up co-founding Market Muse. Yeah, sure. So the short version, I, it, is, it can be a seven hour version or, or a one minute version. Um, so I went to Georgia Tech in Atlanta for computer science. Usability theory was a focus and information retrieval, search engine design. I, I started working for a company while I was still in school, while I was still in college as an intern called Knowledge Storm. And what Knowledge Storm was like one of the first companies selling leads to B2B technology companies. So we were trying to convince companies like IBM and Dell and Oracle to have content and get it out there so that it could generate leads. I know this seems like so wild that we were you know, convincing people to list information about their products, their B2B tech products all the modules of their products and their white papers and their eBooks and such. So what I did there is I made sure we had tons of traffic going through the site. I got into kind of the search engine optimization world very early on in the 99, 2000 range. Um, so now I've been doing it about 23 years. And we were generating millions and millions of leads per month for business technology companies. And I also did product management, helped design the lead management platform, the lead nurturing solution, uh, the ad server, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, so I love all anything that relates to taxonomies, ad serving, uh, search engines, and internet search, enterprise search, whatever it may be. I love it. Um, so then I, we got acquired in 2007 by Tech Target, who if you're in B2B tech, uh, you're probably familiar with them. They're one of the largest publishers in certainly in the United States, but they also own Computer Weekly. Um, and a number of properties throughout the world uh, in Europe and in Asia. And I worked as their um, traffic search and engagement vice president. So basically I was making sure all of their properties got traffic and we were turning it into whatever it was, you know, readership, membership, leads, uh, data. Um, the cool thing about this story and why it matters to Market Muse is it was my first experience working with a large content team. So they had 300 editors, you know, award-winning, amazing editors and experts. And they also had writers, kind of a thousand content contributors from throughout, you know, whether they were outsourced or whether they were like friends and family kind of stuff. And so I had gotten used to optimizing sites and, and, and planning what content to put on pages, you know, without editorial oversight and seeing how smart and intelligent those folks were, but that they weren't necessarily using data to drive those decisions. It was all because they were subject matter experts and they knew editorial and editorial processes. So bringing data to those folks was, you know, initially hard, right? It was like, use here, use some data. It's like, nah, I don't know if I want to use data. This seems like it's all art. And then over time, merging together the art of being an expert and the knowledge one has and editorial excellence and search engine optimization trend information, but also topic information um, became something that allowed us to build out processes. Now, the punchline there is they were all manual. Like, you know, we were talking about right before the show, very manual processes for research, for gap analysis, for editorial research. And still today, writers and editors and journalists do a lot of their research manually. 
I found at the tail end of my time at Tech Target, I found my co-founder. He had taken one research process, which we reference as topic modeling. Um, it's a branch of artificial intelligence that looks to say, if I were an expert and I were covering this topic comprehensively, what are the things that I would naturally include? And let's turn that into a graph or a knowledge graph or, or some sort of you know, information architecture to say, this is what it means to be about that, right? And he had taken a 30-hour manual research process down to about four minutes. And I went, oh boy, right? And it was the outcome was better than what I would be able to do. And I was frankly doing it better than anyone in, you know, 2007 to 2011, 12, 13, whatever. And uh, so when I left Tech Target to go work at a private equity firm, he reached out to me and said, um, hey, Jeff, you really understand these processes and how you would turn a bill into a law effectively. How do you turn this topic model into a thing that can analyze a page, into something that can analyze a collection of pages, or kind of the gold coin, which is analyze my entire site. Tell me where I have strengths and weaknesses. Tell me where I have gaps and opportunities from the lens of quality, because quality, comprehensiveness, and authority, that's the unifying metric for anyone on any team. So if I'm an editor lead, if I'm a GM, if I'm a writer, if I'm a search engine optimization professional, you can't not want the highest quality content. You can't not want momentum and authority so that you can write stuff and it can be successful. So it became this unifying metric that allowed us to build technology that crossed the chasm and broke silos at B2B organizations. Then we realized that publishers and agencies and e-commerce all had the same challenges um, in that they, you know, they don't know what to write. They don't know what to update because they might kind of know, but they can't back it up with data. So they can't get enough budget. So they do kind of, they get half as much budget as they need to write about A. They might spend too much money writing about B. They can't predict the outcomes. And so they're just grossly inefficient. And so what we did was we turned all of those problems that every single person that cares about content has into easy to understand workflows that allow your content team to be predictable. And that's critical. So we can basically say, hey, person, you run a ball bearing company for railroads in Eastern Europe. Okay, cool. Here's the way that you can own, you know, railroad safety uh, in your market. You have to write 140 articles and they're about these topics and you have to update these 15. And if you do that in this time frame, we predict that you're going to have these types of outcomes. And that breaks people's brains. They're just like, yeah. So that's kind of been my journey from college to, you know, working with teams to become more data-driven from a content perspective. And presumably, when you talk about quality, you talk about outcomes. Today, a lot of it is around SEO and, and where you rank on the, right. the search results pages. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Quality, comprehensiveness. Google has always cared about content quality. I love how people are saying, oh, they now care about content. They always have. They've always wanted to bring the best results. The first time this was exhibited in their kind of public outputs was in around 2009 through 11 when they released an algorithm update called Panda, which is made by a guy named Nav Navneet Panda. It just happens to be visualized as a panda bear, but it's not like it was called that because of that. 
Uh, but basically that was trying to bring machine learning to assess content quality. And then they've just improved on that. But they also have to look at it from how to process queries, how to you know rewrite queries, how to um, organize data, uh, in, in data structures. So their goal has always been that, even from the start. They just have to, you know, figure it out along the way as well, as much as anyone else has. But now really they've put that into overdrive because it's because of the ability and the advancements in the technology, they're able to assess quality much more comprehensively, uh, much more well, and they're able to update, update things more quickly. So it, it gives the perception that it's a higher level of focus for them. It's just, they have a better ability to actually do it. Um, so how that's manifested is you can't trick them, right? And you shouldn't have ever been tricking them if you had a real company and desired longevity. But now it's, you know, it's one of those things where the risk that it creates is too high to even think about it, especially if you have a you know real business. Um, so if you have a search engine optimization firm or an in-house person who's advising things that, you know, JDLR, they just don't smell right. It's probably because it's a bad idea and you should be thinking about quality and comprehensiveness. The fun, the fun side effect is that it's such a unifier, right? A product marketing person, an editor, editorial person, your C-suite, your writers, your, you know, everybody wants to be presenting the company in the best possible light. We want content out there that people are going to go to and go, yeah, this is awesome. This really represents us as thought leaders. Um, so it has meaningful impact on virality, on brand, on, you know, and then just kind of team unification. So yes, yeah, sure, it leads to higher rankings. But what it also does, the meaningful impact that it has to build credibility for writing content, the content marketing team, the lead management team, and the search team is really immeasurable. Uh, it makes teams go from kind of siloed, ineffective, inefficient, kind of lobbying for budget to all being unified around one metric. And that metric is quality and authority. That's interesting. I, I, I mean, one of the things that intrigued me is on the website, you know, you obviously talk about quality, you talk about authority, but you have a tagline about publishing fearlessly. What, what do you mean by publishing fearlessly? I've never been asked that question. That's a really good one. Um, so what do I mean? Um, why? What, it, I'm going to flip it around, right? Why would one fear a particular writing or content investment, right? The reasons why one would fear that is because it's completely unpredictable. So I always ask people, the first thing you need to do before you invest any more money in content, stop, don't listen to me, pause the tape, don't pause this tape, um, but go look in the mirror at your existing site. Not bias, not a funhouse mirror. How much content do you produce? How much content have you produced? How much of it, How what percentage of it is successful? Then you do the math and you're like, uh-oh, only like 10%. Or I don't even know, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> the average on B2B teams is typically about 10%. That's painful. So now ask the same question. How much does each content item cost all in? Not just how much did the writer charge you if you're outsourcing. What's the total all-in cost, right? Do that math. You'll figure out that each page is going to be in the thousands of dollars. And you say, no, it's not. Yeah, it is. Trust me. If you, if you bank all the hours... And look at it, especially if it's something that is, is relatively high quality, um, it's going to end up being in that four digits or more. Well, now think about that if you're only producing 10% effective. It actually 10Xs your costs, right? If I knew that, I would be in fear, right? If every article was cost, if every effective article cost me $20,000, $30,000, which isn't unusual for a B2B technology company, right? Gosh, 
I really have to be sure of myself before I invest that. I can lie to myself and say the content costs a couple hundred dollars, right? But even then, I'm fearful that I'm going to get budget to do this and then it's not going to be successful. So what Market Muse brings you is the content confidence to say, I know that if I write this article, if I update these articles, they're going to have a meaningful impact on my business that I can predict. And then I'm comfortable that I'm going to go back and it's going to have that meaningful closed loop. So I can go back to the C-suite or my you know CMO and say, hey, I made the case to build 10 articles about this topic. We wrote them. They all have done well, or 40% of them had done well. Previously, only 10% of our content did well. That's what publishing fearlessly means. That's that's fascinating. That level of confidence and level of, I, I think, just honesty with yourself about costs is really important. I got an example that you can, anyone who's listening to this can go look up. All right. So I was on a podcast. I do a lot of podcasts and webinars. I was on a podcast in January where I was actually looking at Market Muse, the platform, at the Market Muse account, the one that my content strategist, my lead content strategist, Stephen Jeske, who's amazing, um, uses um, to decide what we write and what we update. And I was using it as an example. And I said, well, you know, Stephen wrote this great article that's early stage awareness about content briefs. It's what is a content brief? Market Muse surfaced that it had a intent mismatch, but it was appearing in organic search results for uh, content brief templates and content brief examples, right? But we weren't really ranking very well. If you went to the page, there were no brief, there were no templates or examples, right? So it surfaced that, hey, if we were to go attack content brief templates and content brief examples, we would have noticeable competitive advantage and authority. So I was in this, I was on this podcast and recording and I said, well, I need to go tell, tell Stephen to go write those articles, right? <laughs> he did. Go type in content brief template into Google right now. Um, I don't even know. People probably, might be listening to this seven months from now or three months from now. The page that Stephen wrote, he confidently published, and it, over time, barreled through the results in order to perform well. That's the kind of experience that I want your team to have where you can say, ooh, this is going to be a big lift. I was just talking to a B2B tech company, and they were changing focus. They're changing what they focused on. They're all about this one topic. They want to be about this other topic. They even went out and bought another company to be more about this other concept. And they're like, we have no idea how much content we need to produce on site A in order to own this topic. And I'm like, whoa, okay, you got a migration to do and you're not sure. Um, that's going to be you know, a, a big effort. And we can quantify that. And we showed them their, the data and said, you know, yeah, you're going to have to build a, a collection of content that's pretty significant. Are you guys comfortable with that investment? They were like, oh, it's a little bit more than we expected, but it's, re it's real nice to have that documented, right? And I said, there is a wild card here. Migrations throw a little bit of a variability here, but, and that's not, there's a little bit of unpredictability, which I don't like. Jeff doesn't like unpredictability, but yeah, that's the kind of thing that we like is cases where you make a decision for the why. I have a slide in one of my decks that says, we're the why for content, right? Why am I writing this article versus that article? If you can't answer that, you shouldn't ever write. <laughs> that makes absolute sense. Yeah. So in terms of the product, you know, are, are you really focusing on the content strategist, content manager kind of uh, persona, <laughs> or is it something that's used by writers as well? What a great question. Um, 
Both. Uh, so it's a for the premium offering, it's definitely a team sale and a team target. So the content manager, the content strategist, the CMO, they're a decision-making organization. They decide what to create and what to update. So for them, the value is the decision-making, the content inventory and auditing on demand, um, and being confident in you know giving orders and building plans, right? Because if they build a plan that's not successful, you know, yeah, all downstream is going to hurt. Just imagine you were publishing and only 10% of the articles that you wrote were successful, right? What if you turn that into 20% or 40%? I've got teams operating more than 50% after working with us, right? Which I just imagine that world. The impact downstream is insane. I mean, the, the, the value that that brings, right? But then we take it a step further. We know that there is content operations dysfunction. So we allow teams to build content briefs either with our platform or as a managed service if they have complex brief requirements. What that does is it creates a single source of truth for writers or you know editors or search engine optimization professionals. So I say, hey, go write an article about coffee cups. A lot of times that's what manifests as a proposal today. And so that's not enough. The person who gets that thing is going to, maybe they'll have a bunch of questions or they'll write something. And then the editor looks at it, the developmental editor, if you have a developmental editor, um, and they'll look at it and go, oh, this isn't what we wanted. So they mark it up with red pen figuratively or literally, then they give it back and then there's trust breakdowns and then that's a disaster, right? So we always recommend get a content briefing process that isn't just focused on SEO, make it like so that there's collaboration information about questions to answer, make sure there's room for the writer to use their expertise. That's what you're paying them for to build a narrative. You can give them outline recommendations, title recommendations, ways to differentiate, questions to answer, like I mentioned, topics to include so that they don't have any blind spots. So we provide all of that and then allow you to customize that depending on your level of sophistication. And then we have a set of applications that are mapped to common workflows, right? So I wanna examine a page and make it better. How do I make it better from the lens of quality? That's one of our applications. What does the competitive landscape look like? How can I make sure that my page is differentiated from my competitors? Um, this page needs some internal links. Can I have some recommendations for internal links to put in this? This page needs to answer more questions. What questions should I consider? So common workflows. So that would be for the writer or for the SEO. And then the decision maker, that's more for the premium solution. So a common makeup of using Market Muse is going to have one to five people using the decision-making capabilities and the brief ordering, which is called inventory. Um, and then maybe 10, 15, 20 writers and SEOs using the applications. Yeah. And I found it really interesting because when I looked at Market Muse, and, and I mean, just so people know, you know, we went to look at Market Muse. I ended up signing up and going down the rabbit hole of getting really excited about the whole product. Nice. Um, but it seems that effectively what market muse is trying to do is take all the bits that people are doing manually and not doing very well because they're doing it manually and taking that pain away and automating it and, and and it really seems like you've looked at where the pain points are in terms of content generation and tried to automate that pain away as much as possible was that a deliberate approach oh, absolutely it it is that's my dream my dream is that editors will be, be able to focus on the things that they're good at and not have to do the things that they shouldn't have to do or the things that they're bad at. And writers should be able to have more time writing um, and less time doing things they shouldn't. 
you know, SEOs will have an easier time giving advice that can be heard. SEOs common pain is they give information and nobody can understand what they're giving them, right? Because it doesn't translate into the way that editors think or the way that writers think, right? And I, I use the, I always use the uh, analogy of, um, so you're a chef. Oh, great. Can you farm? <laughs> right. That's one of my favorites. Right. And so a lot of times, Hey, you're a writer. Oh, so you're good at SEO. Why would we expect that? Or you're an editorial person. That means you're really good at keyword research. No, those are learned skills. It's like saying, are you an SEO? So that means you're good at pay-per-click or you understand how ad servers work or you understand information retrieval. Right. So obviously I've spent my entire career, 23 years being able to do all of the things because I don't like the concept of a T-shaped marketer. I always used to tell my teams, don't be a T, be a square, because I want you to know everything <laughs> about everything um, and get there by the time you're done working here so that you can go be a CMO or a VP somewhere else. But if you haven't done that, right, it's not fair to take somebody who's written for 20 years in print and digital combined and say, okay, so you're an SEO. Like, I don't think that's fair. At one point in my career, like in 2005, I thought every writer should be an SEO. I'm like, why wouldn't you want to be? Now I've realized, you know, you grow up, you realize you get empathy. And you're like, wait a second, an editorial expert who like knows everything there is to know about, you know, hard drives. Why would I expect them to care about this, right? I've got to give them this information. So yes, the dream is to take all those workflows that have any pain, any manual process, and automate the stuff that doesn't allow for expertise to shine. I want the editor to be sitting there like, I'm the most valuable person in this organization, the subject matter expert. I understand how the stuff in my brain is gonna add value for the business through content. And if I can achieve that within an organization, then we got something. I wanna turn your writers into people that feel appreciated and that they've got time to write. They don't have to spend time doing SEO, whatever that might mean. I, I think a lot of writers would love to to hear that. Mm -hmm. I mean, may, maybe you could just perhaps, you know, delve down into a little bit more detail on, you know, when, when it comes to a writer trying to generate some content that's, that's um, optimized, you know, what do you do to take that SEO pain away from the writer? Absolutely. So first of all, it's like single source of truth, right? So, um, and I'll tell you, I'll tell this story two ways. One is the actual process and then one's the, the faulty processes, right? Um, the actual process is to say, the person who's asking me to write this, how much trust are they putting into me as a writer? I need that to come through. So the person has a goal when they give a request to write. So it may be, I want to own this topic and maybe I want to rank for these things. I want to generate traffic or they have no goal. Okay. That's a big red flag. You need a goal with the content item. But <clears throat> so they're saying, I want you to go write an article that tells the story of do-it-yourself home ownership expertise and explains to somebody how to get bees out of their garage. All right. That's kind of a thesis. In order to tell that story, Here's questions that you'll need to answer. Here's topics that you definitely want to cover. Here's internal and external linking recommendations. Um, here's some points of reference from competition. Here's some subsections. Okay, this is kind of like your general guidelines and we need it to be, you know, it's going to probably yield over a thousand words because that's roughly how much it would logically take. 
And here's some uh, points, additional points of competitive reference. That's all I want to give the writer because I want the trust that they are going to know this or be able to get the basis there. Go write this. I want them to spend their time. Okay, so what's the beautiful narrative here? What imagery do we need? What production value is expected here? I want to make sure this has a flow, a developmental flow, and communicates and answers those questions well. Now, that's a big difference then if I just sent them, hey, go write an article about how to get bees out of your garage. That's it. Uh-oh, right? They could put anything together. It could be two paragraphs. It could be a thousand paragraphs. It could be 10,000 words. That's a pain point. <clears throat> the other one would be if I just said, hey, go write the article, and then they wrote it, and then I put it through some other sort of flow to optimize it, an SEO edit, right? Well, what if I, what if the person that's doing that marks it up in a way that negatively impacts the narrative, right? Or decreases production value um, or just like causes conflict. So if the writer has that upfront, it's highly unlikely that that SEO edit has to be all that significant. And that creates a really great bond and trust improves the trust with the writers versus the editors, makes them more likely to work together. So the SEO edit is something that you really want to examine if you are doing it, especially if it's a developmental edit where you're actually, and I keep saying that, but it means like you're actually changing the flow structure, tone, voice, um, the, the actual like frame of the pay, of the article of the narrative. You're actually providing insights. You missed a section. You, you didn't mention this concept. Those are things that are common in editorial operations. So then the other thing is where you might think that this type of technology will race you to the end faster. So like, I want to go from proposal to, you know, content quick, right? Yeah. Okay. As long as it checks up all, checks off all the boxes and it's extremely high quality in the end and everybody is confident that that works, but it's not necessarily the goal to do anything that's going to jeopardize quality. So the process that is followed, no matter what, needs to do that. What I commonly see now are races to the end. You, the end yields low quality. And then the process of optimizing or improving that low quality draft, um, oh, it just is painful. Nobody really gets it. The end product isn't as good as it would have been if you built it incrementally. And there's a lot of chaos included. So I advise, I highly advise against that race to the end and modify. And I highly advise against not putting yourself in the situation where the SEO edit is extremely light. Uh, those are two common editorial mistakes. Interesting. I mean, I think one of the other things is typically in this classic approach where people are, are basically using judgment is very subjective. Okay. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about using data and being data driven. Right. Can you explain how Market Muse is data-driven? Sure. So I like to think about it as three scopes, right? Page level, groups of pages, um, and then site or network level. Page level data-driven, we're able to analyze any topic, right? And we don't just look at, like, the number one ranking page or the top five or the top ten to say, like, what are they doing? Copy off of them because that's, first of all, terrible. Um, nobody likes doing that. It doesn't work in practice. Sometimes it works and allows you to spike, but then you crash later for a lot of reasons. There's five reasons that can happen. I won't get into them, but uh, I won't get into detail, but one of them is don't copy your idols. Don't do what Amazon's doing. Don't do what the most powerful publishers in the world are doing. If you're not a most powerful publisher, 
last some really sophisticated teams uh, are know how powerful they are and they'll throw herrings out there for people to latch on to. So that's some super meta stuff. Um, so yeah, don't <laughs> don't copy your idols is a core issue. If you go copy Amazon S pages because Amazon S pages are outperforming you, dig a hole, crawl in, and call me from the bunker three months from now. <laughs> hey, by the way, it still happens. M- people with uh, FBA sites or f- made for Amazon uh, sites are literally going to major e-commerce brands or Amazon S category page or search results and like trying to emulate those strategies. And then they, three months later, are wondering why their traffic crashed because of the Google product update. It's like, yo, you you didn't do anything that you were supposed to. You thought you were because you got this nice shot of adrenaline, but it didn't work. Same thing though in B2B. People are going to copy, don't copy Captera, please. Uh, don't copy um, Tech Target. It's, it's not going to work out for you. I know because I manage the entire Met Tech Target network. Um, so uh, trust me. So the uh, um, I got so off onto a tangent there, but uh, framing back to the question, we go out to the web instead of looking at just your competitor. We go out to the web we and we learn about the topic, right? So we learn about everything we could possibly learn about this concept. So we might look at tens of thousands of pages, hundreds of thousands of pages. We might look at existing knowledge data that we have in order to build a topic model or a knowledge graph that says, if you knew everything there was to know about Boston Terrier dogs, you would also know a bunch of stuff about these other dogs. You would also know that uh, Boston Terriers are a brachiocephalic breed. It means they have smush faces, right? And, And you would have coverage of that in this article. You would also then at the site section level, you would have knowledge of other breeds and probably of other brachiocephalic breeds. And then let's go holistically one level up. You'd have this much breadth of coverage, this much depth of the coverage, this many items that are exhibiting high quality and expertise about dogs, right? And so we can tell you that at the page level, site section or site level that weaves together a narrative about where you are today, where you have gaps, where you should be focused and how easy or hard is that going to be to get you to the next level with content. Um, so how do we use data? Topic modeling, we can build those topics. We can also, we are the only in-market application that can emulate topic authoritativeness calculations. So we can actually say how authoritative your entire site is on any concept. So we can say, you are an expert in multi-factor authentication. Hooray, go write everything you can, <laughs> right? And that's kind of the, the story is why we use data. And we don't just tell people how to do things everybody else is doing. We also tell you how to differentiate your content. And that's something that only you can do if you really have true knowledge. Because you, if you only have true knowledge, you can tell someone how to be like everyone else and how to differentiate. If you only know how to copycat, you can only tell people how to copycat. That's a critical, critical aspect of marketing tech. I just love that because that's that's providing so much assistance mm-hmm. to to content teams, but still it's placing those, those writers at the center um, mm-hmm. and using their creativity and encouraging something new rather than something bland, which I think is so important. You know, it's, it's, it's my thing. I, I love it when the writer recognizes that this is their, these are guardrails, but if they do something magical, like, like if I can, if they have five hours to spend and they can spend four of those five hours, like 
thinking about something super cool and creative because we took away four hours that they would have been spending doing yucky stuff and research. Like I, I like that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Like I'm like, yeah, you, you, you did it right. Or they have five hours and they were able to put out one good article last year at this time. Now they can put out four in those five hours. Cause they just have this like super fast process and like no matter whether it's that they are able to be creative with that time or they're able to get more done and they're doing it confidently, like that's, that's the dream. Right. And then that's, and, and, and ask anyone, I'm not, this isn't just me throwing smoke. Like that's what I want to hear. That is so magical for me to have gone in 20 years. And you know, I'm not a writer, you know, I'm, I, I'm the guy with the stuff in my brain that talks and, my head content strategist records our conversations and turns it into beautiful articles. Like I, I can't sit down and write. I, I just have too much uh, passion for getting it, getting the information out there. It's real hard for me to write. I use other processes, but no matter what the process you go through is, I want it to be faster and I want the outputs and the outcomes to rule the day, not the process. That's, that sounds great. I mean, just looking at this, you've talked a lot about your focus on content teams, large organizations. I mean, does this mean that uh, Market Muse is something that really is only accessible to large enterprises? Well, we have multiple products. So we have a free product, and then we have a, a standard offering, which is for individuals and small teams. Um, that is currently being rebuilt so that it's much more accessible for the individual writer or SEO. So that's going to launch around this summer a relaunch of this summer and be at an easy to access uh, price point. Our premium offering is definitely a team offering. That is where you are going to need to have somebody who wants to use data to make content decisions. You are going to pe want to be adopting a briefing process and you're probably going to want to have two to three or more people who are touching content within your organization to be able to justify the return on investment. But we have single one person solopreneurs with multiple sites who are our best users of our premium product. Um, it's just being confident enough to make such a such an investment in content. And it's really also like I tell everybody, like if you want, if you think this is about cutting corners or tricking Google, like go, go use another software platform. I would much rather you use something else. People don't really understand that, but I've learned that you're not going to be a good customer anyway. If you think you're going to trick, trick the search engines, like it's just not going to work out for you to use this. Go find something that's $44.95 that cheats and, and like go do that. And then like a year later, when things don't work out for you, find me at a conference, cry on my shoulder, and then I'll tell you what you should be doing. And honestly, that happens a lot. Um, and it's okay because cheating is time correlative as John Wu from um, Google, anti-spam team uh, written in the book, The Beauty of Mathematics and Computer Science, one of my favorite books, which you should read. He wrote, I'm paraphrasing, but cheating is time correlative. If you're cheating on, if you're cheating in the, on the search engines, they're going to find you. It's just a matter of time. Um, and if there's software that's giving you insights that aren't leading to content quality and they're leading to manipulation, cool. All right. Talk to me next month. Might not happen next month. Talk to me next year. And you'll realize that, you know, if you're self-aware that what you're doing isn't focused on things that are going to make all boats rise, you might've hurt your brand. And what I want for you is what your CMO likely wants for their company. 
regardless of what role, level, et cetera, that you're playing. That's such a positive message. I, I'm aware, you know, we're running out of time here. So I'm sure people would have loads of questions. I've still got loads <laughs> of questions for you, to be honest. But um, if people want to get hold of you and, and find out more about Market Muse or have something specific, what's the best way to reach I'm you? uncomfortably accessible. Uh, Jeffrey underscore Coil on Twitter. Um, like, you know, follow. I'll follow back and we can DM for sure. Jeff at marketmuse.com on LinkedIn, as long as your LinkedIn messages don't say, hey, I love that you do software development and have company. <laughs> I got what it one said. I love that you have company in software development. I'm like, wow, yeah, you are definitely a bot. As long as you actually wrote a note, maybe reference the podcast or reference something like that. Shoot me a note on LinkedIn. Uh, shoot me an email. I respond to everything. I'm so passionate about this stuff. But also go check out our webinars link on the top of Market Muse. Got about a hundred content strategy webinars there. And whatever you're interested in, I probably have done a webinar about it. And also just, you know, type into Google or YouTube, Jeff Coyle Podcast. You can find hundreds of recordings of me talking about something that you're probably interested in. Um, and yeah, reach out, give me some feedback. That that's awesome. Thank you so much, Jeff. This has been Thanks. so interesting, I'm sure so helpful to a lot of our listeners who are trying to generate awesome. content. thanks so much i i really appreciate it this is my favorite discussion in a really long time and i'm going to be downloading this recording and like shooting it around our whole work like hey listen to this this was a great interview uh, and i love what you got y'all are doing um i think that your target with your group is is special i had the opportunity to speak with you i actually responded to my um, my head of marketing i was like oh i like what they're doing yeah yeah, yeah i'll do that <laughs> so i was already familiar with with uh, some of the work that you've been doing and i i really appreciate it so that's awesome that's very kind thanks right, so much Jeff. thanks so much for listening to marketing b2b tech we hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you did, please make sure you subscribe on iTunes or on your favourite podcast application. If you'd like to know more, please visit our website at napierb2b.com or contact me directly on LinkedIn.